0: I'm Dr. Gary Linkoff, founder and medical director of City Facial Plastics. Thank you for tuning into to Face Facts, a podcast where medical professionals discuss everything related to facial aesthetics, plastic surgery, and hair restoration. Hey! Hey, man. What's up? I'm good, man. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. It was a long day. <laughs> I can imagine. we are you going to have to tell us about it? So this is Dr. Sammy Nizam. He's a, an oral surgeon and a cosmetic hey. surgeon out in montgomery alabama so tell us how your day was and tell us what the situation's like over there
1: yeah well we we just uh actually you can still see the lines (laughs) on my face i was uh wearing one of these ridiculous respirators all day. So they leave these yes. marks in my face for like hours afterwards. You yeah, know, we reopened this week. It was uh, really tough to get back to work, obviously. And for whatever reason, we were super, super busy. I think people just been waiting. Tell us first how your day was. It was a pretty good day. We did uh, we did a couple laser resurfacings, some neck contouring. We just did a lip lift and a laser resurfacing in our last case. We did force cases today. It was good. It was, it was, Exhausting when you're not used <laughs> yeah. to it uh, for a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's pretty
0: tough to jump right back into it, but we did and um, got done. <laughs> good, good. How's the flow for like the patients when they they get scheduled now? Do they have to take a COVID test or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we don't have that in Alabama. Uh, we um, we basically just are following like our CDC guidelines for uh, what the board gave us. And that's basically we can't yeah. have anybody in the waiting room. They screen them out in the car. They call when they get here. You go through all your symptom check and everything like that. So we'll see how it pans out. I think our state's a little more lax probably than some of the Northeast states. Yeah. Our cases are certainly lower. I think we had like 8,000 as of today. I think we have difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have
0: like 400 deaths. Got it. Uh, We're not
1: as high. I'm sure we potentially may have a spike because of this, but mm -hmm. that's where we're at now.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay, I got it. Apparently someone's saying we're both blurry, but you know, I think that maybe that's an Instagram issue because I I use the same, you know, Wi-Fi every time in the same position. Cool, man, so, (laughs) all right, so that's that's good. Yeah, I mean, every place is different, like you said, different caseloads, and that's gonna sort of dictate, I think like how we, you know, conduct our, our practices and all that. Yeah, for me, I, I can't even open yet. And I don't know when I, you know, can start. That's the craziest part. There's still no clear message about that.
1: I can't imagine how that is. I mean, I was starting to get a little bored at home. I will yeah. tell you, it's a bit of a slap in the face when you walk right back into it, though. It's uh, I've had, yeah. I've had a very, big, one of the more busy weeks I've had in a while. So I'm probably gonna be exhausted at the end of the week. But you know, and hopefully we don't get shut down again. I mean, I think I think there's a potential if the cases start skyrocketing that that may happen.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see. Hopefully the virus kind of burns out, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I did um, a lip repair on a patient yesterday and I was like so happy to be back at work.
1: <laughs> it it it's, was it's it was very awesome. fun, isn't it? Like,
0: yeah, it's just nice to like do what we're trained to do and not uh, you know sit around, so. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. All right, so let's jump into it. So let's start with um, sort of the most common complaints that people come in with. I know that, you know, you do a whole lot of also oral surgery type stuff, uh, but I guess more on the facial cosmetic uh, side, what are you sort of seeing the most of?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my practice is probably like 50-50 and then I'm probably like 30, 20, like 30 non-invasive cosmetic, 20% probably surgical cosmetic. I really see the full gamut probably because I'm younger and I've kind of used this medium as my only advertising i probably attract the more younger age groups. So I'd say a majority of my patients are kind of in that 30 to 50 year old age range. And I think that dictates the procedures you do, obviously. Yeah. Mine right now is the whole breadth of things, obviously, from facelifts to fillers and everything. But I mean, every day we do non-invasive stuff, Botox, fillers, things like that. And then uh, on Thursdays, we do our surgical cases. So it's kind of the whole gamut. I do do a lot of like skin resurfacing and things like that because we are in Alabama. There's a lot of sun damaged skin, obviously. So that probably
0: dictates yeah. some of my practicing habits as well yeah pretty much the full breadth of stuff as far as the facial stuff right right good and then so when patients come in say they're like I guess in their 30s to 40s what's like the most common complaint that you're hearing is it like they feel like they're looking more tired or they don't yeah so so
1: yeah I mean I I have been down this road myself so I kind of uh I kind of know it and wife too like you know I hit my my 30s you know just like looked in the mirror and was like what the hell happened here you know and uh, i grew up in florida so i think the biggest complaints we see obviously are things that you can handle with simple things like neuromodulators, like Botox, just forehead wrinkles, some some light sun damage. Under eyes is a big one I see in the younger population. That's like a thing that really bothers them that, that they just look and they say, oh, my gosh. So a lot of times if it's early and it's just something small, you can camouflage it with a little filler or maybe it's, you know, surgical. We just discuss pros and cons with the patient. Females, sometimes they want to just augment their lip a little bit or something like that. Jaw contouring, things of that nature. Those those are kind of the younger
0: age group procedures, I see lip lifts, you do a lot of them, again, younger age group, right? right. And are you finding that when people come in, especially the younger folks, when they say, Oh, I think my problem is here? Do you ever have to sort of redirect them and say, you know what, like, it's actually this other thing? Or do you find that they're kind of on point with like, what they're, you know, concerned about? I I think there's a whole gamut of everything.
1: So like, basically, when we have our consults, we'll uh, we have like a big screen TV in every room. We take standardized photographer, you know, photos of everyone from all the cardinal views, and then we sit down and we look at them. Although people hate that sometimes, but I mean, you're going to someone right to look better, yeah. so you need to identify the problem. So we always address their major complaint first, um, and a lot of people will say, "Well, what do you think?" And understandably so, that's you know, that's where you're going, right? So then we'll kind of talk about some of those other areas. Hey, well, you're worried about under your eyes, but really you have a lot of volume loss in your whole mid face, you know, supporting that area when grafting it's just gonna rejuvenate that whole area. So yeah, things like that, absolutely. They will spur one conversation into another. And then you wanna make sure you're gonna get a good result for them. So you wanna make sure the things you're doing are gonna be synergistic, obviously. Makes
0: sense. Someone asked the question about what what age would you say is like the youngest that you consider for um, skin resurfacing, especially with, I guess, a laser?
1: Yeah, uh, well, so sometimes we'll get acne patients who had acne really bad when they were younger. And I think those are really good, like a fractional CO2. Those will we'll do as young as needed. I mean, I don't really have like an age limit on that. Uh, maybe a scar that you have that has mm-hmm. been closed well, but still has a little, you know, where you can make some improvements. That's another great thing you could use it for. So, you know, I don't think they're the patients that were going with super deep, super aggressive resurfacing, but I think they're the people maybe who have some acne scarring or just some other scars that you want to kind of blend into the neighboring areas.
0: Totally makes sense. All right, let's get into favorite non-surgical modalities other than is laser. What's kind of your your go-to for things that you know people come in asking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, favorite non-surgical, quite honestly, is probably just fillers. Um, I think you can make a huge difference adding volume. I mean, again, it depends on how you age. Some people are heavier; they have larger BMI, and they're not going to be people who are going to you know benefit from overall volumization mm-hmm. in their face. But then sometimes people. Who are quite young and just thin and maybe they're very athletic they age a lot in their face i mean again i did too i'm a little bit on the thinner side and worked out my whole life and i mean my face just looked like it was melting off when i got into my 30s so a little bit of strategic volume here and there made made a very big difference so i think i think those are the best and i think they offer a lot of control and even i always tell my surgical patients Mm -hmm. you know after we're done i may fine-tune it a little bit with a little filler or something like that because you have a lot of control with it and it's and it's it's erasable if you want to, right?
0: Uh, You can get it to where you want it. Have you changed anything about your filler practice over the last year? just in terms of whether it's needles or cannulas or the type of filler. Have you made any major changes or? Um, are...
1: I'd say this year, I've been probably using a lot more uh, radius just for um, deep contouring, mm-hmm. like jawline, a little more bang for the buck sometimes, I think, just because it's okay. a 1.5 cc syringe versus a 1 cc syringe. And then I also started doing hyper dilute, kind of how you would use Sculptra just for an overall volumizer. So I have changed a little bit with that. Cannulas, I've always used kind of from the get go. I just always thought mm-hmm. it was a smart idea, especially around the eyes, I did a lot of orbital fractures and stuff in residency so I stick stuff around there and I just think it's safer and you bruise less I don't use cannulas everywhere mainly around the eyes is my biggest thing and cheeks temples too I use a cannula for those and then uh, lower face normally I use a needle still for some areas lips and things like that
0: a little more control so
1: I kind of split the difference whatever I think works better
0: yeah it makes sense you know I still hesitate to use radius just because you can't reverse it does that ever worry you or I guess you're just like, well, I know where I'm going with it, so. It's probably- yeah, so
1: I a, a lot of times I will, uh, first of all, I probably wouldn't just like start a patient out with it. i probably use something that's a, you know, you, an HA product that you can dissolve. Yeah. Maybe on a cheek I would start out with it because I just, I think, I mean, there is, you know, if you look at the studies, there's a little bit of permanency to it, because you do develop some collagen to it, but it's not much. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 20 or 30%. And they do have a reversal agent. I've never tried it. It's not 100%. If you look, there's a, it's like sodium, I forget what it is, but there's an article on how to do it. Uh, my rep showed it to me while okay. I read it. I, uh, I don't know how effective it is. The article would made it look great as always, right? But I'm sure. there's
0: great research yeah.
1: on it. There is a something that potentially could reverse, let's put it that way. I've never had to, I and mean, I think you do have to go a little bit slower with those. Another like permanent filler, um, I just had a brain fart. Uh, ugh, let's see, the PMMA one. PMMA. Uh, you know what I'm talking Be- about? Bellafil? Yeah, Bellafill. I yeah. just got Bellafill, so I might start oh, using wow. it. Never, I've never tried it. I haven't either. The problem is you have to skin test for it. It's in a collagen matrix, so it's a little bit of a pain in the butt. Um, but I do think for certain people who've had fillers their whole life, and they just don't want to keep coming back and getting them, it may present a pretty good option. Again, I
0: would not do that on a a naive filler patient who's never had fillers. Got it. I just um, had a video consult with someone today and I wanted to add an important topic to our little list here that wasn't on there before. I'll I'll get to it soon, but what about threads? I think we agree on this, but I want to kind of hear from you because I'm also going to be talking to Eunice Park, who's a facial plastic surgeon out here on Long Island. And she does, I actually learned how to do threads from her. So it'll be interesting to talk to her more about that. But she uses it quite a bit. But uh, what's your take on it?
1: Man, I I'm, I'm just haven't been sold on them. We did get some. We went through the training and everything. I've been just slightly underwhelmed with the results. I feel like every result, when you see like a good result, had kind of some filler added as well. And I feel like most of the result ends up coming from the filler. They're pricey. And I just think for what you get, in my hands, I'll be that guy who says that, I just don't think they're great. I've tried brow lifts with them and things like that. I mean the concept makes sense, and I think probably maybe some of the thread companies are better than the other, but just actually moving tissue without actually taking any away just doesn't seem conceptually to make a ton of sense to me. So that's
0: my kind of thought. I don't know about you. Have you done these like lateral brow lifts? Uh, that I guess it, it's getting more and more popular with the threads. Have you? I have. I have never tried that. So. I tried one right when we got
1: them. I think it did a little. It was a uh, she was a nurse practitioner. She's a friend of my wife's, and which. Um, We had them, so we said, you want to try it, and uh, no expectations, and I, I, you know, if I look back at the, I'll show them to you sometime. I probably got like a millimeter, maybe.
0: You know, nothing crazy though. And then the question is, how long is that going to last? For you know, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's, so that's- from, one thing I've heard. I I don't do threads very much. I you know, it's it's on sort of like my price list, but I, it's not yeah. something I don't. I don't think I have a whole page on my website devoted to it. I don't believe so. It's included in the text for other things, just as you know, as an option. But I never push it on people. I actually talk them out of it for the most part. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, the people who do it, usually they say that patient satisfaction rates are quite high, I agree. And, that, and that, you know, that, that says a lot. I mean, that's, that's good, you know, because for other things, I think they're not, not as high. So I think that that's a good thing. And maybe even though I don't think it captures well in a photo before and yeah. after I've rarely seen like really good before and after thread photos. <laughs> yeah, but if the patient sort of feels a lift, and you know, understands that it's temporary, I don't know, might, might be might be worth uh, keeping in the arm and tear
1: I agree with you. I think if you have like a good conversation with a patient, and it's a patient who understands that, then I think, sure, then
0: I think it's very reasonable. Right. Someone asked about thread lifts for the, like, instead of a lip lift or as as a non-surgical lip lift. I've never done that. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen any great results, but have you uh, ever no, tried? I've or... never even tried. I mean, I'm,
1: I'm sure maybe it can get up a little bit, but uh, I think when you actually, you know, I don't know about you. I mean, I, it's, it's a break point, right? Like if someone has that long lip, that's where I'm going to say lip lift, right? If they don't, and they just want a little bit of volume in lip, and it's not really that long, then filler works pretty well, too. I will tell you, in my fellowship, we actually, this is not FDA approved in any way, but we actually did silicone 1000, occasionally, in some people's lips who like, who had, had things. And I, I mean, I got to tell you, some beautiful, beautiful results. Now, I have not pulled the trigger on doing it, because I'm always worried about eight years down the road, you know, long between granulomas and stuff. But Uh, Those are some of the prettiest lips I think I've seen, to be honest with you. Yeah,
0: I mean, I've seen some decent results, but then obviously people come to me because they want that stuff removed. And it's kind of funny because I think like you're going to go in surgically and just literally remove the silicone and see it and you just don't. I think that those tend to kind of clump and shift around and maybe granulomas are are just the product shifting. So, yeah, I just, you know, I always kind of try to think ahead for them. I I always feel that. Yeah, once now you're set up in your
1: town, right? It's like, you know, it's your name, right? You, you don't want to. Well, that's it. right. <laughs> we
0: have this uh, local like facial plastics uh, society here. Yeah. And, and all like the, the names that you kind of heard about in New York go there, not every you know session, but, but they show up from time to time. And uh, there's one like uh, elderly guy from New Jersey. He's like, you know, close to retirement in his like mid 70s. And he's always like he swears by like the silicone, the lips. He's always talking about it, you know, raving about it. And everyone's looking at him like, Oh, my God, oh, but, but he I mean, he has, he's been doing it for like 30 years. So you think if it was so bad. Um, you know, you, know what, you know, what I know it.
1: it is, you have to do like, a, it's a micro droplet technique. So I don't even know if it's really the silicone adding the volume or just the body's reaction to it. I mean, you're doing yeah. like 0.2 cc's per session in each lip. Like I said, I saw pretty good results too.
0: I was, I was pretty impressed with it.
1: So I mean, yeah. and, and probably in the in the season guys who've done it for a long time probably works pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he always talks about you know, like multiple treatment sessions, it's not like one time and that's yeah. it. So, you know, yeah, I mean, if you know what you're doing, I guess it might be safe-ish. We have a question here from Dr. Lana about brow lifting, non-surgical. Accutite, I, I just don't have that uh, system. So, I, you know, I, I haven't tried I, that.
1: Uh, I just got one. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, face tight and Accutite. I actually just mm-hmm. did a case of it today on sure. the neck. I have not tried it for a brow lift yet. I have heard it's underwhelming for that particular use. My biggest use I've used it for so far is like neck contouring and like um, sculpting the sub hollow right here. And people who just aren't ready for a facelift or who just are kind of heavy in this region. I have seen it work very well for that. Like you combine that with a buckle fat pad and you can really get this in quite nicely. And then you don't have to worry. I'm always worried even doing light liposuction here that I'm not going to like I'm going to end up with loose skin or something. Right. So I think it's a nice way to kind of guarantee that you can get at least some tightening there. And then you combine that with like RF microneedling over. It's called the embrace procedure. And you get pretty decent results with that. Yeah. And it's, you know, they sell it as it's like a non-invasive thing, but it's, it's semi-surgical. You're swollen sure. for a couple days days. Uh, it's, you know, but there's no incisions or anything like it's that. like a
0: bipolar
1: type of rf right yeah yeah it's <laughs> nice because it's uh i you know i looked at getting that versus getting um you know i'm talking about the other one that's the helium plasma uh j, uh it used to be j plasma oh uh, like, like kind of like a yeah
0: i know what you're about, like a plasma pen type of thing yeah yeah, yeah so that, that they're kind of cute entry
1: yeah they're the two competitors right now in that market but my problem with that and I think you get awesome results of that, and that might even be better for body. But I think the face tight on the neck is better because you you set your internal and external temperature. So mm-hmm. like complications wise, I think you're a little bit safe. I mean, you still get complications, obviously, but I think you're a little bit safer because you have a little bit more control. You're not just blasting in
0: there with really no endpoint. Renuvion uh, is, is yes, guess, there you the go. Part, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think for the brow for non-surgical, you know, neuromodulators obviously work well. I would consider, if someone really doesn't want surgery, I'd consider doing a thread lift for, especially if it's a lateral brow. I would, but Again, I guess like it's just the nature of like what what I'm doing versus what other people. I mean, people come to me usually for surgery. So, yes, I and I don't have like a med spa type of setting with a million machines, but you know, of course, the more machines you have, the more things you can offer them, but then I think it can get a little confusing for patients too. So, I just try to like tell them what the options are in general and even if it's not something I offer. So, if they really just want to discuss how to improve the brow and they're considering non surgical things, I'll tell them what exists out there. And then if they want those things, I'll, you know, send them somewhere. So yeah, that, I, that's the way I do it.
1: I agree you 100%. Um, and I'll tell you, if I, I'll, I will probably use my acutite at some point for a brow lift. And I think it'll be on that patient that goes, I do not want to have surgery at all. I'm yeah. not doing it. And then I'll say, we could try this, but I can right. you it's going to get a massive result. But you probably combine that with a little neuromodulator maybe theoretically you can get a little bit of tightening and get it to go up but it's it's going to be minimal you know even sometimes when you do those lateral brow lifts, you don't get a ton i
0: mean you really need a good full release to get the brow up i think that's the the key yeah so. i mean that's a whole other discussion like the surgical approaches to the brow it gets i actually had it on our list and then my wife looked at it and said take that off <laughs> <laughs> it would bore people to death but you know it, it's an important um you know thing to chat about too so you know it, there's just so many things you could possibly do Lots of patients asking brow lifts aside from and to have the type. Yeah, I mean, I think try it, um, you know, you're probably not going to hurt too much, especially if you stay in the subcube plane, you know, and uh, if you get some benefit, great. Yeah, yeah, there's but,
1: there, there's not. I mean, the complications with uh, the device in general are not a lot. Swelling is can be kind of great. Um, you yeah. can get some temporary nerve palsies. So you can sometimes get like a little burn. Yeah. It typically heals pretty well, and that's like a worst case scenario thing. So yeah, it's it's not a ton of complications besides some swelling, probably for like a week. Yeah, I mean, time. yeah,
0: know the path of the facial nerve, but. Realize that, you know, in that area, it does tend to be a little bit deeper. So yeah, as long as you're not going crazy deep, so it should be okay. Question about, I guess as we enter a little bit more into like a surgical discussion, combining surgeries. So some people ask me for, you know, kind of a full face makeover surgically. And I mean, maybe i'm not the fastest surgeon but i just feel like at some point it's not safe to do like a million procedures that could take on like hours and hours and hours like at what point do you tell people you know maybe we should split this up you know i literally had someone recently say like you know full like brow lift lids facelift and a rhinoplasty and a lip lift and i said you know what i can't do that all at once yeah and so at some point you just I, uh, have to be honest yeah with man, yourself.
1: those are those are days that like super stress me so actually Uh, We just did one of my assistants uh, recently, and it was right when I first got my face tight. So, I mean, that's always stressful when you're using a new device in itself. And then we did a rhinoplasty, buckle fat, pad reduction, and fat grafting, and a bunch of other stuff. Man, you're just exhausted after that. So, yeah, I I think sometimes, I mean, that's like the limit. I I won't go over like five or six hours. And I'm just like you. I'm not uh, a burner and turner by any means. Like, I want everything to be right. You know, I feel like if you start trying to do too much stuff,
0: you're going to short something for sure.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: There's there's no way around. Or or you just need like expert help. So if you have a fellow or someone who can do a big chunk of it while you're working on one area. But if you're going to do it all yourself, including the suturing, this stuff takes time. I mean, it just does.
1: I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I will tell
0: you, I'm very lucky.
1: Like my my wife, because she's a PA, she can help me in surgery. So like help harvest when we're doing fat grafting, process the fat, that stuff's really time consuming. So I do do a lot of fat grafting just because it's like icing on the cake and combining stuff. And I I do, don't get me wrong, I like combining procedures. It's just, there's gotta be a limit somewhere.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's like a healthy way to look at it. It's tempting sometimes to tell people, oh, you're gonna have one recovery period, but you have to think about like how much time they're under anesthesia. And just like laying, you know, on the table for so long, it's just uncomfortable. They're going to get crampy. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I uh, The other thing I will tell you too, and this is always my
1: thought, like if mm. you have a ton of surgeries and you can phase them out to maybe like upper face and lower face or something like that, it's always good to me because it allows you to go back and you almost have a second look. Like maybe, maybe you wanted to add a little bit more volume somewhere, a little back crafting maybe on that second trip. Like, you know, yeah. some of the things aren't, you're not gonna to get to the millimeter of where you wanted things. So that's the other nice thing I always tell patients, like if we're coming back, it allows me a little second look to make a little improvement or, or maybe I can laser over a scar where we made an incision. Yeah, there's, yeah, a of, there's a
0: lot of benefits to that second absolutely. look. Absolutely, and that's something also that wasn't sort of on my list, but worth talking about, revision procedures. You know, when I started my practice, I thought about it as like a complete failure. Like, oh my God! Like someone came back, and this wasn't perfect, or that wasn't perfect. And now I see it as just like it's like inevitable. It's part, of it the, part of the game. Every, it's part of the game, and you know, it happens to every surgeon, and we see sort of each other's complications yep. and whatnot. That's why it's so important for me to establish like a good rapport with the patient before I even sign them up, because you know, the last thing I want is a patient where I can't really like see eye to eye before surgery, because then after if there's an issue, I mean, how are you going to get them to trust you to come back to you to to kind of fix things however you want or make those micro adjustments, as you suggested, if you never really got along with them in the first place. So that that kind of relationship building, and sometimes you just can't build it. I mean, but just kind of finding that right fit of patient and doctor, I think is really important.
1: Most crucial thing ever. And, uh, and I think I like we try to show patients like, let's say for like a lip lift, uh, we have a picture of maybe like the most red swollen person I had, and then like, yeah. maybe somebody in between and we show them like, hey, that this is what you're gonna look like at a week, you know, you're gonna be you know, you could potentially be very swollen, you could see that incision line for a couple weeks, like just the reality of the situation. So we, we really try to make sure that the patients understand going in like what they're in for. I mean, I might even say sometimes I almost try to scare them so they know. And then when it, you know, normally it's less than that extreme case that you showed them, so it it works out well. But I think people appreciate that. And I think people who aren't okay with that probably shouldn't be doing surgery in the first place.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. This is what I added to our list, uh, cheek implants. And I know you have more experience uh, with this than I do because it came up today. I had a video consult with someone for a hair transplant. Yeah. And then they started asking me towards the end about cheek implants. I didn't think really that she needed it, a young, young person. And I thought there was really good cheek volume, but they wanted to tell them life is gonna suck the first few weeks. Yes, life will, <laughs> won't will be great in, during recovery. So they were specifically pointing to kind of the sub area, sort of medial. And I felt like there was really good volume overall throughout. And so I was like basically trying to talk them out of it. But then, in general, I realize, I mean, you know, cheek implants, I just, I've seen some issues with them, but I, I just, I know you've worked so much in that area. So I want to hear your Yeah, thoughts. I, um.
1: so in, like when I started out in my uh, oral max, um, with the orthognathic surgery, removing jaws around, when you break the jaw at the little four one level, you don't really affect the malar projection. So a lot of people who are deficient in their mid face, you know, it'll be their top jaw, but it's not just their top jaw and just advancing their top jaw. It helps, but it doesn't get this area. So a lot of times we would do implants on top of that. And I have done the gamut of stock, MedPore silicone, custom MedPore, custom silicone. I think they represent a really good option to be honest with you. I think they're pretty easy to get in. I think if you Mm -hmm. screw fixate them and they're solid, they're not moving around, you limit a lot of your complications. And I think as long as you don't go crazy with them, you probably will be fine. Now I have moved doing silicone customs for my cheeks. I don't do stocks anymore. Um, yeah, So
0: tell me about that process with the, the custom. Yeah,
1: yeah so uh, the negative is it's expensive, uh, right? I, I wish my wife she, she left already, <laughs> she knows the pricing on them. but to the surgeon it's very expensive just to get them. So you, have, you take a CT scan first, uh, but then they're custom fit for your anatomy. So putting them in becomes easier because you know if they lay, how they lay on your plan right? You don't have to visualize everything. So a lot of problems you see with implants sometimes are they're misplaced, right? Like I have people come in for oral surgery that have chin implants that I see on the CT scan. You can kind of see the outline of it. And they're like way up above the chin. They're crooked. It's not as easy as just slapping something in there. You're working through a tiny hole. So I think customs just in placement, getting exact placement, exactly what you wanted, I think are awesome. Number two, if it was my body right now, it's not like a breast implant you're trying to you have everyone has a unique contour of their bone in their mid face. Right. So I think it is excellent for that because then it fits against your bone. There's no movement. There's less issues with infection and mm-hmm. migration, things like that. And if you screw fixate it, it's I, I really haven't had many problems with those. They, they, they seem to do very well. And then you could control well, okay, maybe I just want a little out on the mailer portion, but I need more under the nerve. You can have a little cutout custom under the nerve so it fits up under the nerve. You can have it come up and kind of fit up under and add volume up under the eye itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think they present good options. But again, it sounds like maybe your patient didn't even actually need them. That's my concern. Sometimes you don't want to overdo
0: it. Yeah, and then I also worry in like a younger patient, there's so much change that occurs in this area, in the mid face, you know, as opposed to putting a chin implant, there's not as much sort of soft tissue and fat that's changing. Yeah. Um, whereas like in the cheeks, there's just all that descent, there's so much atrophy of fat over time. And I just wonder if like, then they have to get a modification to those implants and I getting mean, the them good exactly thing is, right. If on both you sides. I guess the good way to look at it is if you did need to do it, it's pretty easy to take out,
1: you know, it's done through an intraoral incision, there's no incision on the face, you honestly just take your two, I normally put two screws. So there's no rotational movement to it. You just screw the screws out and pop the implant out. And if you wanted to change your implant or change something with it, That's it. I mean, if you get an infection, it's pretty simple too. honestly, you just take it out, clean it out, let it chill out, get the infection gone and then come back and and get a new one and replace it. Well, you know, you've, you've
0: had a lot more experience with that than I have. So I'm just, I'm just hesitant with it. And it's not, you know, it's, I would recommend
1: for sure go, uh, if you're going to do it, start out with a custom one, because I just think it's easier to get symmetry and and somebody who's looking for that. And and everyone has asymmetries. If you look very closely, it's a big thing. I really look at and it's really fun for me to look at their CT scan and then look at their face and look at the photos mm-hmm. and kind of say like, oh, well, that makes sense now. Like, oh, well, maybe their rim's down a little bit on one side or their whole, you know, mandible's canted because their maxilla is like that way. And then, you know, you can camouflage it slightly. You tell me, you're not gonna get it perfect, but working towards symmetry
0: is always, uh, incites some beauty, I think. Would you consider doing filler first to make sure that they're happy with the aesthetic? Yeah, absolutely Before offering them the implant now I, I think filler first would be a tremendous idea. Give them a year to lo- see how they like
1: it uh, if yeah. they go, "Man, I love the way I look when it was like that then yeah I think that's a great play and, and then and think about how much filler you put in because you can do uh, you can ask them when they're doing the um, actual uh, calculations and get an idea of how much volume that implants going to displace and then say, okay, well, I did a CC or two in each cheek and she was happy with it or maybe she wanted more, maybe I'll do, you know,
0: three CCs and you can kind of modify your design. It's it's a fun process. Yeah, oh, interesting. I think uh, your wife mentioned it was $3,000. Oh, okay. I saw I saw it pop up as a message. So. There you go. Was that,
1: wait, I just thought $3,000 is probably
0: the cost of just the implant, I'm assuming. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know about the, um, yeah, the, the Actually, 3D so cost. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I think it was, it's just for like the modeling and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's okay. expensive. That's, that's the problem. Right. So we can, let's just stick, stick with the orthodontic stuff for now. Um, so sort of what are the main indications for doing the, the jaw movements, the jaw contouring stuff that you do?
1: Yeah. So I will, I mean, first of all, I'll give you full disclosure. I haven't done a ton of ethics cases in the last like two years, just for whatever reason, getting coverage for it for like actual cosmetic purposes is really challenging. There's one big insurance company down here who kind of it's Blue Cross Blue Shield. So we don't have a lot of different options like the Northeast. Uh, so if they say no go, it's not getting paid for. And it's an expensive surgery. I mean, you're talking, you know, out of pocket, like 15, 20 grand kind of deal. Yeah, I don't do a lot of it anymore. I did a lot when I was in residency, obviously, because residencies are always the centers for that and where cases get sent. But just to summarize who is a good candidate or who would be a candidate, a lot of times it's going to start with someone who goes to their orthodontist and has a malocclusion. Their teeth don't line up well. And there's different discrepancies we can have caused by skeletal differences in growth. So basically differences in how the top jaw, the maxilla, and the bottom jaw grow. You can have anterior, posterior problems like the bottom jaw can be forward or back. Top jaw can be too forward or too back. And then you can have transverse problems where there's not enough actual width for the teeth. And then you can have asymmetries where the whole skeleton is twisted. And then you can have things like an open bite where there's a vertical discrepancy as well. So it's kind of all four planes. And then typically people will see an orthodontist and they will tell them, These are, you know, this is going to be very hard to camouflage or correct by just moving the teeth. And to be quite honest, with you, I I was camouflaged. I had um, premolars taken out because my bottom jaw was weak, and now I have a bunch of filler in my jaw because yeah. like, I didn't even explore that option. I wish they would have, because I would I would have aged much better with a stronger jaw. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, so sometimes it is much better to just skeletally move everything instead of trying to camouflage it with the teeth, because the underlying <laughs> problem is actually the facial skeleton.
0: Right, got it. No, thanks for that. That that's helpful. Fitness trainer, mom of five is asking, do either of you do minor nose jobs? Possibly covered by insurance due to the issue do you mean the issue of like not breathing well or maybe that 's what she's referring to minor do you have in i guess in your repertoire like a, some something like a minor nose job or uh, i don't do you yeah know, i am um...
1: like i I do sometimes i'll do clothes like for like a very small hump and everything like that but mm. i'm I'm an open guy to be honest with you maybe I 'll do an isolated septoplasty or something like that, but I don't do a lot of functional rhinoplasty. I really do cosmetic stuff and and when I do it i I really don't like making like compromise um i'd rather get good support kind of open structured rhinoplasty um is more my preference,
0: yeah. Mine as well, I'll do closed for um, septum work, even if it's the caudal septum that's all messed up. I feel more or less comfortable with that. Sometimes when you have like a severe S-shape to the septum, Um, You can almost see it on the outside. That person needs an open, just sometimes for the septum. They have to do an extra corporeal reconstruction, basically removing the septum. People don't know who that is and what that is. And then putting, putting it back in a straighter fashion. So closed, I reserve honestly for like revision cases, whether they're my own or someone else's where there might be a little bony callus that forms along the dorsum. But I don't like doing it for like primary nose. I just feel like I have so much more control in an open fashion so I'm also mostly an open kind of guy so that for those who are listening may not know what that means, making a small incision here and there's just so much marketing online on different websites about scarless rhinoplastic clothes. And the incision heals the point of being completely like imperceptible. So it's not the kind of scar that you would need to worry about. Like when we're talking about lip lift scarring or facelift scars, Those can be somewhat pronounced in certain situations, but the rhinoplasty scar, the only incision is this little teeny tiny thing at the base of the nose here, mid-columella that just disappears. The rest of the incisions are also all internal. So this whole idea of, you know, open close, it's just like, I think once, the techniques for open were described, it it almost is like a no brainer. Some people say, well, with a close, I can better judge the final result because I don't have to keep flipping the skin up and down. I mean, those are technical things. And if it works in, in the surgeon's hands, great. But I think open is a great way to have like ultimate control over how the nose looks.
1: Yep, I agree with you. And I would just add to that. I mean, I I, I, think there are some guys out there who have just been doing it so long, who, who have been doing clothes so long that they're very good at it. But I just can't imagine that, you know, sometimes, you know, you go in there and you just find something you just you didn't really even appreciate it on exam. And you're just shocked. Oh, totally. and there's no way you're going to see that when you're doing a closed. I'm with you 100%. I, I like open.
0: So it looks like we have a clarification. So it's the nostril on the right side. It's a bit of twisted cartilage. Yeah, I mean, even a situation like that, it seems to many people sometimes like a minor thing, like, oh, my nostrils are a little asymmetric. Can we just like make it you know, smaller or bigger on one side? It's actually very hard to create a change in the nose, especially of the nostrils. That's a long-term fix. Oftentimes, it's related to the rest of the tip cartilages, and the best way to expose that is through an open approach so it's not it's still not really a minor type of nose job it's a, it's just a nose job even just to fix something like that now for retraction like alar retraction i think sometimes you can put a little graft in without like general anesthesia and i also think that for alar where you're kind of just trying to narrow things a little bit yeah. uh, that can be done under local those would be i guess like yeah those are kind of more minor um, no joke. but anything involving really the tip cartilages here or all the stuff up here on the bridge, it's. Um, I think Sam and I agree. I think open uh, is the way to go.
1: Now I will, I will, I will add to that too. Sometimes I will offer if the patient's just like totally against it. I will offer them um, a little bit of filler depending on the area it is, okay. slightly camouflage it. I mean, the take is, A, it's not permanent, right? Although it does last a lot longer in the nose than something like the lip or something like that. Right. And two, you can only add volume, you can't subtract volume. So if it's a situation where a little bit of addition of volume actually makes it look better, like my, my wife actually has a little bit of filler in her nose and it looks great. She, cause she had a very baby hump. So little things like that are very, you know, for my minor rhinoplasty, that's probably what I would just do if you just don't wanna have surgery and you accept that maybe every couple of years you come back, we do a little touch up. That's the other option. <clears throat>
0: No, that's a good point. Have you done rhinoplasties on patients who've had filler before?
1: Uh, you know, I have not yet. Um, I, I think I would probably dissolve it if they if they had it in because I'd want yeah. to see what their nose looked like, and I hope they don't have permanent filler in their nose because that would be a disaster. So, yeah, I would probably dissolve it first and just kind of to really appreciate yeah. what the nose looks like so I could see, maybe bring them back, probably dissolve it, bring them back in two weeks, take some more photos. I have Vectra, the
0: 3D morphing stuff, so I always sit yeah. down and... and Get, make sure we're on the same page with what I'm going to be doing. So To me, dissolving makes a ton of sense as well. But I will say that I had one of these insta-lives with a friend of mine, uh, Richard Reich, who's in, in town here, he does a ton of rhinoplasties, And he says he, he never dissolves and it doesn't affect his results. So... It just kind of something good to know, you know, that yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't I, do I, as, I, as many procedures on the nose as he does at this stage, especially for cosmetic. I do a lot of noses in my, in my Brooklyn job, but those are a lot of them reconstructive. So yeah, I mean, it's just, just good to know that if someone, for example, has the filler, maybe it didn't tell us about it. You know, you yeah. go in there, apparently it's not a big deal to just kind of scoop it out. once Yeah. You're- I don't, I
1: don't, I don't, for, I wouldn't foresee it being a big deal uh, from a surgical standpoint. I just think from the actual exam, that would be my thing, just to, to be able to really appreciate everything. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but whenever, especially rhinoplasty, I really sit down with those and, and come up with a, a pretty concise plan that I literally write out and have up on our monitor while I'm doing it, what maneuvers I want to do, any special points I appreciated on the pictures just to remind myself. Cause it's, I mean, it's its a complicated surgery
0: for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yes, uh, someone asked the permanent filler. So I use um, Restylane lift. It's not an actual like permanent type of filler. It's just that it lasts longer in that area cause there isn't as much movement. So the lips move a lot and you know, in the nose its it's fairly stationary. So cool. Anything else you wanted to add about that topic? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. All right, let's see. So uh, how young is too young for a facelift? Yeah,
1: um, I don't think you can put an age on a facelift in any way, shape or form. I think when you look at uh, the major cities such as yours, uh, Beverly Hills, people are having facelifts very young. I think the results you get on younger patients are probably much better and last a lot longer. So I think if you're a true candidate and you have jowling and some excess neck tissue, And you want to get a nice long lasting result. And by long lasting, I mean, 10 years. Um, And yes, there's always gonna be maybe a minor amount of relapse. But the younger you are, there's just more collagen in your skin, the tissues hold up better, the tissue planes are better defined, everything looks more natural, honestly, when you do it, uh, because there's more thickness of uh, subcutaneous tissue to hide the deeper work. I don't think there's an age limit by any means. I'm not telling you, I'm gonna go do a facelift on a I actually had a as uh, a friend of ours asked us to do a facelift she's like 30 i think she's 33 or four or something and i just didn't think she was a candidate we did some non-invasive stuff but you know maybe in in, in 40 yeah no question but again i don't yeah. think it's age i
0: think it's just how how your face ages you know first thing you said was was jowling and i agree with you that's actually like one of the primary indicators for me of when someone is sort of ready for a facelift i guess the reason i brought up this whole kind of question is, because I've seen somewhat recently, to me, it's alarming that there are like 30 year olds coming in asking for a facelift. And these aren't people with jowling. I mean, these are like beautiful cervical mental angles, no jowls, they have no marionette lines, they have maybe some slightly pronounced, you know, nasolabial folds. And it's mainly for that reason that they're saying that oh I want to face that because I really want to bring things, you know, back to where they were, or where they maybe it they never were. They always had those lines, they tell me sometimes, you know, and I've seen them operated by some of the local surgeons. To me, it's a little concerning. I, I don't know if I completely condone that. On the other hand, you know, there are other you know, advanced procedures on the face that we do on younger patients. So maybe why not that? So I think it's not so much maybe a complete facelift, necklift. We're really talking about kind of like a mid facelift in these folks. Yeah. But I haven't pulled the trigger on any of them. I've kind of sent them away, for, you know, or offered non-surgical. Uh, but but yeah. So but it's you know it's being done by some big names, and I don't know. I'm not sure. I I feel great. You about know, my that.
1: my concern always is is. Um... You know, after I got out of my fellowship, I started doing deep plane facelifts, right? I don't know if I'd be comfortable doing a deep plane facelift on someone who's already had a facelift because the anatomy is all altered. Uh, that would that would, that would would make me not choose that. So I think the other thing you got to look at is when you go do a revision, you know, you can read someone else's op note, but you don't really know what was done. You don't know where the entry point was. Let's say if they did a deep plane facelift exactly where it was. I mean, maybe you can see from sutures, they put non-dissolving sutures, but I think you're limiting your options as you go out. And revisional surgery, as you know, never looks as good as the initial surgery. So I think
0: you're burning a bridge later, especially if you don't That's really a really do it. good point. That's a really good point actually. I hadn't actually thought about this, but as we as a community start to do more and more deep plane, the revisions are gonna be more challenging. And I know people who do a ton of deep plane and they've changed their suture material even that they use on, on the on the SMAS to make it more permanent because that this way they can find the stitch if they were to go back into the, their own the faces that they've operated on themselves but now take you know someone else's case and, and you're trying to figure it out and it can get a little bit you know hairy so I agree with you that's something that I don't think has ever really been a major issue sort of globally because for a long time people were just still doing you know the, the little yeah. skin excisions and yeah. And maybe just some superficial SMAS uh, tightening. But as more and more people adopt a deep, plane approach, because it does create more you know, substantial uh, changes, we'll have to then consider what we do for revision cases. And it, it definitely is a, a trickier situation.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and also noting on that patient who comes in, maybe they have a baby amount of jowling. That's where I think some of these non-invasive treatments actually can come in, because you can target just the jowl take the gel down a little bit, tighten it a little bit if it's 30% great. And then you can camouflage a little bit behind and an and anterior to it with a little filler. A little filler. And it's, totally. Gone. Yeah, it's totally, totally gone. And I've done that with younger patients and they've been very happy. And, then, and and sometimes those are the people who come in and said, I need a facelift. And there's just like barely anything there. So um, they have less downtime and then they didn't, you know, they still have the opportunity in five or 10 years to do the facelift.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I like that approach much more. And so, you know, again, it's, it's always tempting because people are excited about surgery. I've had people, you know, get really upset because they're like, I've saved up for this procedure. And they're literally like, you know, 3031. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I don't think you need it. You know, yeah. and it's just it can be a, a tough conversation, but an important one. What are your thoughts on like mandible contouring, like really going in there changing the, the shape? So I mean, I think you
1: can do it with implants. I think you can do it with fillers. I think it's massive. I mean, I think it it honestly cheats your neck results whenever you're doing a neck procedure. I always, if someone has a deficient chin, the first thing I look at if I'm going to be doing anything on the neck is can they stand to have any augmentation on their mandible? And quite, quite often they can. Um, I mean, it magnifies your result times 10 because I mean, if you think about somebody's jaw from the side, I mean, I have a tiny mandible. If my mandible's back here and it's out here, I mean, just doing that alone makes my neck cervical mental angle look massively better. So um, I am all about augmenting the mandible. I think people with stronger mandibles, they age much better in their neck if you look just as a whole. So yeah, I think it's great whether you do it with uh, minimally invasive stuff. And that's where I think radius is great for kind of contour. You do it with a custom implant or even a stock just chin implant.
0: uh, You can get some pretty powerful results. What about reducing the mandible, like they're doing in in South Korea, in a kind of like a V shape? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah I, uh, I don't do those procedures, but yeah, I, I haven't done those either. I probably would,
1: you know. It's probably going to be a decent amount of downtime, though, because you do have to detach the entire masseter and everything. I've done a lot of reduction genioplasties. Um, I actually wrote a chapter on genioplasties in one of the uh, plastic textbooks out there that came out last year. So I've done some like block ones where you uh, take out a strip and, and then plate everything together to narrow the chin. Um, I just haven't done any post here. I have done some mandibular wide uh, narrowing, even like the entire mandible uh, with orthomathic surgeries. So I think it's, it's fair game. Uh, I just haven't done any of these V-shaves. And honestly, the first thing I try for that, like just to make sure a patient even wants it, is I just- Botox. Botox. Uh, yeah, yeah, their master muscles, man. It's, it's, if they bite down and they have that real, you know, big master you can feel, I think that's, you can shrink- the angle of their jawline. I agree. My wife, again, actually, (laughs) she's, I always (laughs) use her as example. You're trying trying everything. (laughs) I know, we do it for her all the time um, because she, you know, she has an Asian face and it's a little, you know, it's more round and she likes kind of more of that inverted V look and uh, it it does. It looks great. We do it every four to six months. It's easy, no downtime and uh, it looks great.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I always tell people that one treatment is often not enough though to see that slimming. Do you agree with that? That it usually take three uh, months?
1: I, I, I will tell you, I feel like we see, well, I feel like we're very careful of who we select, right? Like I really always have them and you, you don't, you know, your masseter doesn't fire until you're biting all the way, right? Mm-hmm. If you can get that and it's a big, chunky, beefy muscle, then I, I think you can get a pretty good result. Now, I think it takes, you know, four to six weeks to see the maximum because it's just like having your arm in a cast. If it's not yeah. used, that muscle atrophies. And uh, we know that happens anywhere when you paralyze a muscle. Right. So uh, I think you can see it. Uh, if I didn't get a result the first time, I may be trying uh, able to try a second time. But I will tell you, typically, I feel like we see something when we look at the pictures after
0: the first Right, time. right. But I think it's about- going to work just in case
1: yeah Uh, but you do have to keep up with it too that's the other thing as soon as you start reusing that muscle and it comes back I think you know it
0: it gets right back to where it was but it's a very tolerable set of injections I think Uh, I I think it's probably probably
1: the easiest yes they're deep easy ones the skin isn't really thick over there that much so it just goes in very quick I mean this is something that takes like five minutes yeah how many
0: units per side in the average patient
1: uh in botox units we do six
0: i4 so 24 per side okay yeah i usually do like 20 so yeah same ballpark cool so we're we have like a couple minutes left let's see what else let's just kind of jump to this recovery for patients after like more major surgery any uh tricks, anything that you're doing I know that you use drains, I think for certain things right i I'd like to use drains too anything yeah. else or what are your thoughts on trying to speed up recovery for people? yeah,
1: I try everything I can really I mean we try but we do the sinek thing I think that which one uh sinek you know um it's uh God, what is the the herbal thing in it you know I'm talking um I off my head
0: Arnica, or no
1: yeah Arnica yeah. It's okay, uh, just okay, the, yeah. the brand, it's like the, the brand of that. So oh, okay. we, do Ar- we do Arnica, um, I think there's mixed, you know, literature on that. Yeah, who knows, it works, yeah. Some of it doesn't, it just certainly doesn't hurt. I have started using a lot of TXA in my uh, tumescent solutions. I do think that helps a little bit with swelling and bruising. Intraop stuff, I think also just a good concentration of Epi helps a lot. Um, I have definitely increased as I've gone along. Actually in my fellowship, we used a lot more than I had used back when I was in my residency and I did notice yeah. a lot less bruising and swelling. Giving it local time to sit before you start. Other things we can do. Um, sometimes I do, if it's a healthier person, we will keep them a little, a little more on the hypotensive side during surgery.
0: If they can tolerate
1: it, just uh, to decrease bruising and swelling. Afterwards, the standard stuff, head of, a, head of bed elevation. Sure. Good wrap, on, on, especially on my face tight cases and things like that now where I'm trying to contour. I use poppy mm-hmm. foam, just kind of like you would use for the abdomen, and I cut it out to the areas I want. And I make sure that's on for at least a good 24 hours to kind of keep those areas bolstered, so you don't get any residual hematoma or anything. Because I have noticed sometimes if you do um this, just a, don't get a great result. It's not as profound. So that has been a cool one I've added. Let's see what else have we really been doing. I use platelet-rich fibrin on any of my like skin resurfacing cases. I do definitely oh, oh, yeah. notice a difference. Incisions too on like lip lifts. I'll I'll uh, usually inject the lip lift, lift or after that or any incision that is going to like show I'll use that and then I've been doing a lot of uh, laser assisted drug delivery for like fine tuning scars and things like that afterwards with like 5 fu and just a light see C- a fractional co2 I think you can really blend away sometimes some uh, incisions nicely with that so Nice. That's the main stuff I've been doing. I don't know if you've been doing anything new or anything cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've just started to experiment with the Jet Peel, which is that system I was using for the PRP needleless sort of entry of, um, of any kind of fluid. Uh, but you can also use it for lymphatic drainage massage. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a great yeah. idea, too. Yeah, I agree with you yeah. 100%. Yeah, just I, um... to kind of promote that drainage and yeah. you just have like this, a different way of delivering it compared to like if you're like really transfusing liquid it's nice i mean it's uh, it's pressured air and i think it it works i mean i haven't treated you know so many patients to really tell if it's if it's doing a lot but people also like to feel like when they're recovering especially from a bigger procedure that you're there for them and you know you're kind of guiding them along coming in for certain you know smaller little treatments uh people are usually very happy to, to do that. Yeah, I, uh,
1: I'm 100% with lymphatic massage. We haven't started instituting it yet, but uh, I just had this discussion actually when I was training for my face diet out in Arizona. Shapiro was the guy who uh, trained me out there and uh, he's really big on it. He was gave me the brochure to get from his office and said he should really look into this. So I think there's definitely something for it. I know, I mean, for body stuff, it's amazing um, and very important. Honestly, for any liposuction thing, so I think it. Uh, I definitely think it probably speeds healing, helps get rid of that because you know the edema is the biggest. You know, oh face- yeah. Facial surgery doesn't really hurt. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Exquisitely painful. It's just the swelling. I mean, it's. it's anyway, the- twenty
0: twenty five seconds left. It's yeah. Me, the countdown. Yeah. How do people get in touch with you? Go to our
1: website www.alabamasurgicalarts.com and call us three three four two seven one two zero zero two. I feel like I'm on a used car salesman there, or uh, just. Uh, you can click on our link on instagram thank
0: you so much for joining me this is so good thank you yeah absolutely man thank you have a good night we'll Good will chat again soon